Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Silly Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no off-season here. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the 25th day of August, 2017, from the beautiful Sully Baseball Studios in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. You know, it's weeks like this week, you know, and I, and I did the daily podcast for those 1,600 some odd straight days, and, and, and people would ask me, like, how could you do a podcast every day? And this is the kind of week, and this, I think, the, what, the third podcast I'm dropping this week, that there is a sense of, when I did a daily show, this is why, because, you know, it, you just can't keep up with all the stuff that's going on right now. Now, I, I want to just bring a couple things because I just, if I don't mention some of these things, I'll, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll explode. First and foremost, we've discussed the win stat often here. I, I'm not one to eliminate the win stat, but I'm getting real close. I'm getting real close because I'm starting to think it actually tells you nothing. It may not tell you a damn thing. And the fact that there are people who still use it as a primary metric for the value of a season is, I think, becoming closer and closer to insanity. We don't do this with other sports. We don't say, hey, you know, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl as a quarterback and Dan Marino didn't, ergo, Trent Dilfer was a better quarterback. We don't look at someone like, I don't know, um, Luke Longley being the center of a world championship, three world championship basketball teams and say he's better than you know, Patrick Ewing, who won zero, do we? I don't think that happens in other sports. You know, the, win t- the win stat has to do more with the fact that it was invented in the infancy of statistics. I'm sure it seemed like a good statistic at the time. And then we learned, we learned that it's not as reliable. And we also know that, that the baseball used to handle pitching staffs a lot differently than they used to. Someone pointed, I think it was on BaseballReference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, or maybe it was High Heat Stats. I don't remember which Twitter feed brought this up. Forgive me, I don't have Twitter in front of me right now. But talk about how Art Neff had the best you know, game score, which is a stat I'm really in love with, for a pitcher who got the loss. He pitched like... 21, 22 innings in a game where he got the loss. And you've got to think by inning 16, the guys in the bullpen are thinking like, hey, I'll, I'll get loose. If you want, I'll get loose. You know, they, they, they handled pitching staffs differently. And so you were the only pitcher. And did you win or did you lose? There was a stat that was put on, I think it was at MLB. Or I saw it floating around. Uh, Garvin S., the batting stance guy, posted it on his Instagram feed. Follow him at batting stance guy. Really funny. was been a guest on the podcast several times. And it was, it was uh, uh, from the Indians broadcast of the Red Sox game the other day. So this day in Indians history, 
on August 24, 1919, Indians pitcher Ray Caldwell was struck by lightning with two outs in the ninth inning, and the Indians leading the A's 2-1. to one. He was unconscious, then revived, and went on to retire Joe Dugan to end the game. This was a time when a man being struck by a bolt of lightning, literally, not figuratively, like Don Corleone said to the heads of the five family, literally, hit by goddamn lightning. And I'm sorry, Ray, but I think this was goddamn lightning. And we, that wasn't enough to call it the bullpen. That wasn't enough to get a reliever. Ah, tough it out. You were just struck unconscious by lightning. There were no pitch counts. There wasn't lightning counts. So yeah, when that stat was devised, that seemed like it was a positive metric. And we understand the limitations of it now. And if you don't understand the limitations of the win versus the loss, we will just go, and you saw, saw this coming, to Rich Hill, a man who is hell-bent to throw a no-hitter, even if the gods of baseball seem hell-bent to prevent him from doing just that. Last year, he had a perfect game through, I think it was seven innings, in a game against Miami, and Dave Roberts, who knew that Rachel had an in injury-plagued history and needed him healthy for the postseason, removed him after the seventh inning, and Joe Blanton let up a hit in the eighth or ninth inning, ending the no-hit bid. Well, the other day, he threw a no-hitter. That's not my opinion. That's a fact. If you say, what's a no-hitter? You go nine innings. And you don't let up a hit. The only base runner he let up was a ninth-inning error by the third baseman. He was throwing a perfect game, and only an error kept him from it being a perfect game. At the end of nine innings, when you're a team that's going to win 110 against a Pirates team that is spiraling, you would think that after nine innings of no-hit ball, the reaction should be jumping up in the air, jumping into the catcher's arm, having that clip there, and having it be the game of your life instead of walking gently off the field with your head down because it was 0-0. Zero, zero. zero to zero. No score. Nicasio, the Pirates relief pitcher, through the ninth. No score. Out comes Hill. He's going to throw the 10th. And he lets up that fly ball to, to left field. That was agonizing because Curtis Granderson, who someday is going to be a great broadcaster and is one of the most respected people in the game, went all out on his new team. He's been a Dodger for like 45 minutes. And he's going all out and he jumps up and you can't tell. One of two things happened. Did he catch the home run and preserve this no-hitter for another third of an inning? Or was it over his glove and it was it a walk-off home run? There was about, I'm going to, you know, it seemed like five minutes, but it probably was only about three or four seconds. But man, those three or four seconds could really slow down. And you realize, oh, the game's over. Walk-off home run. Good for Josh Harrison. Seriously. The Pirates are on the extreme outside of this pennant race, and they can't afford many losses. 
and he got a walk-off hit. They said this is a game where they were no hit, and they squeezed a, a win out of it. I bear him no ill will. I bear no ill will to the Pirates, who were bunting in the ninth inning. Oh, it's so, it's no class trying to bunt against a pitcher throwing a no-hitter. It's no score. Their job is to win the damn game. They're, try, they're on the outside looking in and trying to hold on for dear life in this postseason. So I have no ill will. Juan Nicasio, it will be recorded that Juan Nicasio won that game. Who won it? Juan Nicasio. Who lost it? Rich Hill. Now what does it say about a statistic? that you can throw nine innings plus one batter, let up one hit and one run, and you are the loser. That goes on his le- the ledger for something negative. And Nicasio, do you believe Nicasio outpitched Rich Hill? Is that it? Now, I-, I will stand by the one lone thing that you can point to as a value for the win stat is for the storytelling aspect of it, the narrative, which is, frankly, what most people care about in baseball. If I say, well, geez, why did Nicasio get the win and Rich Hill get the loss? You're forced to then recount the events of the game. So as a storytelling metric, it has value. But this comes to a point where I have about some things in life and in the world. I I've sometimes bring this up in my thoughts about religion, which some of you know I'm not the biggest fan of religion. But I'm not going to go there. I'll talk about maybe whale oil. How about that? Can we all agree that whale oil sucks? It's not worth killing whales to get the oil to burn the lamps? And eventually we found other ways to do it. And whatever good things came about from slaughtering whales, we found, hey, there's a better, there's better ways to get the advantages of, whale, of, of what you get from whales. Well, maybe win-losses are like whale oil. Whatever value you get out of that narrative, you can find... I don't know. You can find a better way to do it. You know, is there a way you can just sort of, is there a way you can use the game score? Is there a way you can find a new number to put next to someone? I don't know. I don't know, but the win-loss is still being used. There are going to be people who use it as the first thing they look at at the Cy Young Award. You know, there's still people who look at, you know, I, I, I am conflicted about it. And, and, and this could be because the transition from one set of stats to another is always going to be the hardest for the people who have to make the change. I still hear 20-game winner. I think, hey, wow, yeah. I still think, oh, man, it would be great if someone could win 300 games. Because you're not going to get to 300 games, you know, win 300 games if you suck. I get that. But also, it, it has to be... Uh, you know, and it has to be a metric who we don't lean on. Rich Hill lost that game. Did he? Did he really? 
if you would ask any pitcher in the history of baseball, can you go nine innings plus a batter, give up one run, one hit? Any pitcher in history, Koufax, Bob Gibson, Pedro Martinez, Walter Johnson, Satchel Paige, Cy Young, Juan Marichal, any pitcher in history would be proud to have that line through nine innings and one batter. Loss. It's in his bad column. The win-loss record kept Burp Lylevin out of the Hall of Fame for 14 years. And got Don Sutton in in a snap. Because we look at, ah, he won 300 games. He did it. You know, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I don't see the value. I'm seeing that the value is not stronger than the detraction of it. Maybe, you know, certainly that we look at it, like, well, how, how's he doing this year? He's won, he's won 14 games. Ah, he must be doing well. Daisy? Is he? Is Juan Nicasio going to look at that inning? I mean, hey, this is not against Juan Nicasio. He did his job. He came out and threw a, 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 a scoreless inning. Kept his team in the game. He got the loss. He also got the loss. Dellen Batances, yesterday, came in the game, threw one pitch. Then he threw another pitch, went up and in, hit the batter, was ejected from the game. That batter was on base. The rally started. The Tigers won the game. The pitcher who got the decision was Batances. So a loss could mean throwing nine innings of no-hit baseball and giving up one run in the bottom of the 10th. Or it could mean you hit a batter in the six and you threw two pitches. Same stat. Same exact stat for both performances. What does that tell you? How, how do you use that as a metric? It's almost, it's almost impossible to point to at this point. And yet we still have it. And for many people, it's still the primary thing they look at. It's borderline insane. But here we are. So, by the way, I want to talk a little bit because if you've been listening to this podcast for as long as I've been doing it, you know my thoughts on brawls and beanball wars. I think they're stupid, and you saw how stupid they were yesterday. You know, pitches were going, coming inside in that game, of, of which there was a lot of, you know, bad tempers going on in the game between Detroit and the Yankees, which resulted in bench-clearing brawls and people running out and Miguel Cabrera throwing a bunch of punches and everything like that. Um, I may get on three groups of people. Three groups of people are, you know, you know, I, I said that it's, there's not always two sides to a story. I think we've gotten into a, seeing that the trouble of taking that point of view has led to some controversy in this country recently, that uh, you got to listen to both sides. Well, sometimes you don't. Sometimes there isn't. Side, you know, sometimes there is a side that is wrong, and 
saying that one side you know has to be heard as equally as the other can sometimes be disingenuous. This is an instance where I think blame can be placed in through three groups of people. First of all, both teams for stretching this out. Tigers got nothing to play for. They threw at some of the Yankees and, of course, uh, Miguel Cabrera threw punches at uh, Romine. And that was uh, stupid. It's going to get him suspended. I'm a Cabrera fan, but that was just stupid. You know, you're, the Tigers are going nowhere in a hurry. And the Tigers didn't show a whole lot of heart in that series against the Yankees, losing the two games, the first two games at home in, you know, kind of a brutal manner. You know, they showed, they, I mean, they, they, they won the game yesterday where there was a ton of fights and a ton of ejections. But on, you know, on Wednesday, they're at home against the Yankees. A lot of teams looking up saying, hey, they're trying to catch the Yankees in the wild card game. They're at home, Zimmerman pitching, they lose 10 to 2. And the previous day, same situation. Hey, come on, you can play spoiler. Oh, they lost 13 to 4. So this Tiger team is laying down. You know, it took just this ugly, bizarre game yesterday to even salvage, you know, not being swept at home. And Cabrera's, you know, throwing punches. And if you look at the, you know, Tiger bench, you know, Victor Martinez and Justin Verlander are screaming at each other. Would someone remind me why Brad Osmus is still a major league manager? Seriously. I got on the Angels a few weeks ago about saying, hey, you know, you have Mike Trout, you're the best player on the planet, and you can't even be mediocre. And, and I'll give the Angels a ton of credit. A ton of credit. They've been playing great since then. I give Mike Sosha a ton of credit. The Angels have been playing great, and under Sosha, they've, been, they've got themselves right back in it. They could very well win the wild card. And so, you know what? Give credit where credit is due. They look dead from the neck up, and then they got right back into this. But my point is the same with the Tigers. A team where you, you don't even have to be mediocre. You could be a sub-500 team in late August and still be within two or three games of the wild card going into Labor Day. And you're seeing that. There are teams that are sub-500. I've been talking about this ad ad nauseum. To the point where some of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah, we get it, Sully. We get it. But it's important when you take a look at the Tigers. The Tigers are nine and a half games. They're 55 and 71. They're gone. They're done. They're out of it. Meanwhile, you could be Baltimore, 62 and 65, three games under 500, three games out of a playoff spot. You don't even have to be mediocre, and you could be a contender. And the fact that the Tigers have a huge payroll, they have quality players on their team, and they can't even just they can't even get into a a playoff scrum where the freaking Rangers have started rebuilding to trade their ace away. Now they're a game out of the playoffs. You could wave the white flag. You can contend even when you're not trying to contend. And you see. Tiger team that looks limp, 
that forgets how many outs there are, where players are getting doubled off, where veterans are yelling at each other in the dugout, where their superstar is throwing punches and they get himself ejected. How much of that goes on Osmus? Shouldn't something go on Osmus? He inherited a wonderful team that Jim Leland managed and resulted in, you know, on the heels of Leland, won the division title by a game in 2014, and since then, piddly poo. And now they're a losing team, expensive losing team, with big stars on their team, and Brad Ossus is, there's clearly no control in that team, and there's clearly nothing going on. At some point, you got to get the manager out of there. And after this showing, you know, I, I don't mean to have someone lose their job. Why? 2014, 15, 16, 17. Four years. That's how much time we give a president. Four years. And quality players on his team. Four years, and they're a mess. And you know what? You can say, oh, the veterans are declining and everything. They're, the teams are a mess all over the place in terms of injuries and age. This team looks like they're just they're fighting from within. It's chaos. Why not let them go now? Why not send a message? There are plenty of excellent managerial candidates out there not currently managing a team. And maybe, just maybe, the whole experiment of let's get people who are managers who have never even coached is going to, I don't know, stop. Yet Osmus, how's that working out? Matheny with the Cardinals already got him to a World Series. But, you know, he, he had a good quality organization. And we're now probably going to have two more st- two straight years without the Cardinals in the postseason. And that's your great success story. Walt Weiss, how did that turn out? Robin Ventura, how did that turn out? You know, you're seeing how he's handling pitching staffs, Osmus, how he's handling the bullpen. Doesn't even get people up when there's until the absolute chaos is going on. I don't know, maybe having some coaching and managerial experience, I don't know, important? I'll get on that on another podcast, but you know what? There are going to be some managerial openings. Obviously, Terry Collins is gone. Chances are Price in Cincinnati is gone. Maybe, just maybe, John Farrell with the Red Sox could be gone. I'm not necessarily endorsing that. I'm not necessarily saying no to that. And chances are, Osmus is going to be gone. Maybe even Matheny's going to be gone. Osmus has to be gone. Osmus should be gone now. Shouldn't this be the time you look at the person on the coaching staff who is a respected former player and veteran that everyone loves and respects and say, hey, look it, look it. This may not be your job for long term, but for the last month or so, can, we, can you just put a lid on everything? Everyone likes you. We're going to do a managerial search. We'll give you an interview too. But for the last 
five, six weeks of the season. Can you just help us put a lid on this? That's what the Tigers should be doing now. Because why not? What is it? Are they looking good? I mean, it's better for baseball. If you don't have the Tigers just limply waving the white flag, which is what they are doing. But I'm going to throw another blame towards Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez went into the scrum and threw a few sucker punches. No reason. And you're in a baseball fight and you just sort of, oh, hold me back, hold me back, yell at each other and look like you're going to do something and don't do shit. That's what a baseball fight is. We've all seen them. They're stupid. They prove nothing. They don't show you're manly. They don't show you're smart. It's not, well, we're going to let the players police each other. Oh, what a bunch of shit. I have more respect for the win statistic than that logic. In comes Gary Sanchez throws a few punches, and I guarantee you he's going to get five games. Five games. In the course of 162, that's not that much. In the course of about 35, that's a lot. You know, the Yankees are not exactly, you know, they, 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 they beat the crap out of Tiger pitching, but guess what? The Tigers have stopped trying. The Tigers are waving the white flag. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the Yankees' offense isn't exactly knocking them dead these days. And one of the few bright spots on the team has been Gary Sanchez, especially since Aaron Judge has become a strikeout machine. Now, of course, Gary Sanchez is going to appeal this, and that will hold it off for a few days. But eventually, he'll have to either drop the appeal or face a suspension. They're going to be playing Seattle for the next few days. Seattle is a contending team. They're in the, they're in the midst of the wild card hunt. On the outskirts of it, yes. Should the Yankees win those games? Yes. Yeah, they probably should. But it's not going to be easy. And then the week after that, they're going to be playing Cleveland. Guess what? Cleveland, I don't, don't look at the win-loss record right now. Because Houston and Boston have better records than Cleveland. This is going to be a diehard Boston fan. Cleveland's the best team in the American League. Cleveland's probably going to win the pennant again. Cleveland is a much better team than the Yankees right now. If in the middle of that you remove Sanchez's bat from that series, right now the Yankees are up by about three or four games in the loss column, and chances are they're going to be one of the playoff teams. But what if they go into a slide? What if they go into a slump? We've seen that with this Yankee team. There are some weeks where they go on five, six-game stretch where they look terrific, and then they can go on a stretch like they had in the West Coast where nothing went right. It just takes a couple of bad starts and a couple of slumps, and next thing you know, that three, four-game in the loss column lead will turn into a one- or two-game lead, and you're going into the middle of the scrum where by the end it becomes a coin toss. And what you can't do is remove one of your top power bats like Gary Sanchez. Now, if you lost him because of an injury, you shrug. You say, that's life. You're a catcher. If you lost it because 
I, I don't know, because of bereavement leave. It's, you can't stop it. Your Aunt Judy died. He could be gone, I don't know, three at the least, five is probably more likely, because he saw a scrum and said, I'm going to punch this guy. Yeah. Boom. Five games without Gary Sanchez in your lineup. Is that the five games that'll make the difference? If this is April, you shrug. When there's only 30-some-odd games left, that's a big chunk. Now, I'm, look at as a Red Sox fan, there's part of me who would show nothing but glee than to see the Yankees struggling for a playoff spot, partially because their boneheaded catcher decided to get into a you know, fracas. But this isn't what baseball should be. I have no respect for this. This is not what it should be about. And yet here we are. Here's where we are. This is, the where, we, this is where things exist now. Good job, Gary Sanchez. But you know who's the biggest, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Culprit? Is that the right word? The person who should be taking the single most amount of blame for this? I'll tell you. It's no one on the Tigers. It's no one on the Yankees. I'll tell you who it is. It's Carlos Torres, Dana DeMuth, Ben May, and Paul Nari. The umpires of that game. Why couldn't they take control of this? This is why the whole let the players please it for himself. No, take control of this. Get in the middle but of Cabrera and Romine and say, knock it off. Stop this. We have a major league game going on here. You know, let's not let's let's knock all this off right now. This game has significance and the wild card stands for at least one of the two teams on the field. And this is the way the product is, and it was totally out of control. And you know what? What repercussion is gonna happen to those umps? Anything? Is anything bad gonna happen to those umpires ever? No. No. They're just going to move on. They're going to move on, and the talk is of the players, and it's going to wind up ending up that the Yankees are not going to have one of their best power hitters for five days because he was, well, he was insecure, is how I'll say it nicely. It's bananas. It's banana time, and there's no excuse for it. It gives me something to talk about, but there's no excuse for it. Hey, do you know what's going on this weekend? All the players are wearing goofy uniforms. Goofy uniforms with their nicknames on the back. And some people don't like it. And I don't care. That's kind of fun. It's kind of goofy. It's kind of silly. And I know some of you may need to be hugged. I know some of you may need to be in a special, safe place. But one of the teams... That's going to be wearing one of the goofy uniforms with nicknames on the back are the Yankees. Oh, no! No, what's going to happen to the time-space continuum if the Yankees wear something goofy? Nothing! It's something fun. It's something silly. I'm actually behind this. The uniforms look pretty good. All right, so they'll have 
nicknames on the back. And you want to give you something to talk about. They give the announcer something to talk about. Good Lord. If anyone has a problem with this, they do so many uniform variations. And we have all the camouflage uniforms, which I think are disrespectful to the military. And then they wear the, the, you know, the colors that are light blue for dad and pink for mom and red, white, and blue on the 4th of July and green uniforms and spring training for St. Patrick's Day. Who gives a crap? It's fun. Some of the uniforms look awesome. I think the Nationals should wear those uniforms that they're going to be wearing. They look better than their normal uniforms. It's like, hey, why are they wearing these? Are they wearing this for this or that and the other thing? They're raising money for this, that, and the other thing. It's all fun. Why are so many people in baseball so against the concept of fun? It's not that hard to understand, folks. Why do we make it harder to enjoy things? Just let it be. If you're a Yankee fan, do you know what? You have other fish to fry than being concerned about whether or not they wear uniform for three days that's slightly different than what Gil McDougal wore in the 1953 World Series. You'll be okay. The world will turn. You'll be fine. If you could survive Billy Crystal showing up and playing in a spring training game, or Carl Pavano being the opening day starter, do you know what? I think you're going to be okay. So just relax. Take it easy. Exhale. Things are fine. Well, I don't have the energy right now to do a um, team that should have won. I think I only have a couple left. So I'm going to finish that off, that series off next week. And then we'll see what's happening with the podcast moving forward. So go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Ah! This is the Sully Baseball Podcast almost daily for Friday, the 25th day of August 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Do you know what? Do us all a favor, make it easy, and just call me Sully. <laughs>